0: all right wow that's intense huh yeah that's intense uh but that's kind of that's where we're going guys uh we're kicking off this new year by giving you something to shoot for All right. This new year, as we kick it off, I know that many of us just from our, you know, from our human mindset that we want to set like some things that we want to go after. We got some things that we want to conquer or tackle in our lives. And so what we want to do as a pastoral team is we want to put some spiritual targets on your board so that you can start reaching out for those. That's what we want to do. Those happen to be called chains. (laughs) Chains. Chains that we need to kind of go after and we need to break in our lives. So my name's Jeff. Glad to have you here with us. If you're new with us, wow, you came at the it came at a great time. If part of your new year was like, I want to get plugged into a church, I want to thank you so much for choosing New Life and for being here with us. I, I got a chance to meet a guy earlier. You know, this is first week here, um, and it, what a privilege it is to you know have walked through these doors this particular Sunday here at the beginning of the year. Which, by the way, it's the first Sunday of 2018. Welcome, <laughs> welcome, yeah. Some of you are thinking like I've been thinking, like, wow, I'm just surprised 2018's here, right? Like, I didn't think we would even make it this far. And so, uh, look, as we jump into this series, you're gonna find out a number of things about yourself. These are not demoralizing. These are not defeating. Like, when you find out somewhere in this series over these next two months that there are chains in your life, don't, don't like take that as a negative. Be thankful to the Lord that he exposed that for you so that you can walk in greater freedom because there's all kinds of different chains, chains of different names, chains that have different weights to them, chains that have, you know, different, you know, specifications to them that all of these things, though, they wrap us up and they hold us, but there's all kinds of chains. Like, you know, how many of you guys are wearing a chain right now? Anybody wearing a chain, wearing one? All right, I mean, that used to be kind of popular back in the day, especially like when this guy was on TV. You know, a lot of chains... Lots of chains, lots of chains, right? Gold chains. So we got gold chains, but you also have the chains that are like, uh, on a cruise ship. Have you ever been on a cruise ship before? And then you get to this port and they're going to, you know, let the anchor out and you hear the chain going out. It's like huge, big links like this. I mean, that's pretty intense. Or maybe you've been driving down the interstate and you've seen the chains that like truck drivers use to hold down gear. Aren't you thankful for those chains? Yeah, do you ever drive by like really fast, hope, thinking to yourself like, man, I hope it doesn't bust right now? Of course you do. All right, come on. Come on, you're with me. Right? You just like bust right by. Man, I'm thankful for those chains. But then there are other chains, though. These are emotional and spiritual chains that end up binding us. These spiritual and emotional chains, they bind us similar to like, you know, Jacob Marley in that, that classic story, A Christmas Carol, or what Others commonly known as Scrooge. If you remember correctly, like you know uh, Jacob Marley, he's he's Ebenezer's partner in business, and he has died. And you know when he when he dies, he ends up getting wrapped up in all these chains, and these chains are weighty, and there's a lot of them. and He has to carry them all over the place, and he wants to come back, and he wants to warn his business partner Ebenezer to not end up with those same chains in his life. And in fact, if you remember how the the drama is written. Um, here's Jacob, and he's there with Ebenezer, and he's going, "Your chains." Well, other people can do it better than me, but you know, your your chains—they're mighty and they're long and they're strong. In fact, your chain was like my chain, you know, when I died. But you've been adding to it. You've been, you know, building on that chain. You know, the same chain that Jacob Marley was wearing, because it, those chains came from their ruthlessness. It came from their sinful behavior, right? And we all have chains just like that. Many of us are wearing chains right now, and I'm including myself in the middle of that. And we're, we're wearing these chains from our sinful behavior that's in our past. And sinful behavior that's maybe in our current. And these chains, they can feel overwhelming. They wrap around us and they they try to like suck the, the life right out of us. Our chains can feel as if they're, they're never, ever going to go away, right? That they're, they just might last forever. And our chains, they can perpetuate this hopelessness in us. These chains, I mean, they could be, if you want to use an analogy, they could be equated to like a prisoner that is in jail serving a life sentence. What would that person feel like? I did a little bit of research to discover. I wanted to know what are the most brutal prisons, what are the most inescapable prisons? Like what are these prisons that, you know, would just lock a man up and he would, he would never be able to get out, like never even dream about getting out. And I read about this prison that's in Russia uh, it's called the Black Dolphin Prison. they got 700 of their worst criminals. I mean, you think of the worst of the worst kind of heinous crime that a person could do to another person? That's who's locked up here. People that just couldn't make it really anywhere else. They're that deep into their sin. And they're guarded by 900 guards. Like 700 prisoners with 900 guards. They're fed, though, four times a day. That's good, right? Except they're at soup four times a day. This is a work prison. They're not allowed to sit on their bed after they wake up. They're not allowed to lie down after they wake up until it's deemed by the guards that it's time for them to go to sleep. When they're moved from their prison cell, they're moved with blinders on. They are blindfolded, and they are bent over with their hands, you know, clasped together behind them, bent over with their arms lifted high, and then they're walked through the prison that way. Why are they walked through the prison with blindfolds and with their hands clasped in that manner? so that they can never really figure out where they are, so that they can never figure out a plan for escaping. And they just keep them in this constant state of you know, being disoriented, so it becomes a place that is deemed the most inescapable prison on earth. But even to our, our, one of our neighbors in Colorado, in Florence, Colorado, where the ADX Supermax prison is, like, it is where the worst of the worst of America's criminals go. You think of the worst of the worst, that's where they're living right now. It's nicknamed the Alcatraz of the Rockies. Now, why would it be nicknamed the Alcatraz of the Rockies? Because they deem it to be inescapable. The prisoners that are in this particular prison, they 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 spend twenty three hours a day in a cell, and one hour they get out of the cell. And during that one hour, they're allowed to shower. They're allowed to maybe buy a little something if they, they need it at their little small commissary. And they're able to do a little bit of a workout. But the workout is like done like in a, in a pool, uh, like an underground pool with concrete walls and no windows to see out. And that's where they get to live. They, they do have a window, though. The, they have a window in each of their cells, except for it's four inches by four feet long, and it's on the roof. Um, of their cell, so that all they can see is straight up through four inches and four feet long. They never get the chance to look out the side so they see the Rockies. I mean, here they are near the Rockies, but they never get to see them. Why do they go to those extremes with these kinds of prisoners? They go to these extremes to keep them hopeless. That's the one thing that men that are in these conditions. You know, they have to wrestle with the most is this hopelessness, this extreme lockdown, this disorientation, knowing that this is where they're going to spend the rest of their lives, never really being able to try to figure out where north, south, east, or west is hopeless. And you know what our chains that come from our past sins do to us over time? They cause the very same hopelessness to rise up within us. Almost as if we're living in a prison that's been created and designed by us and for us. And at times it feels like it's an inescapable prison. A prison of chains that seem as if at times they grow stronger and stronger as the days and the weeks and the years go on instead of weaker and weaker like we're hoped for or like we read in God's word and like we hear preached. We want that freedom so bad, but it seems as if the more we pray for the freedom, we get this false sense of peace, and then the chains all of a sudden, two or three days later, they cinch that back down around us. Almost with a death grip, sucking the very life out of us. And as we walk through this series, we're going to be looking at different types of chains that are wrapping themselves around us, binding us up, keeping us from living the life that God created for us to live. And by the way, all of us have these chains. So today, what I'd like to do is take a unique look at these chains. I want to look at them, though, from one perspective, past chains. Chains that we've carried for possibly decades. Chains that we have carried for long periods of time in our life. And these chains, the reason why I want to talk about them is because chains from our past, they reek with shame. They reek with shame. Now, just to give you a little idea of how powerful this statement is, I really didn't want to even use the word reek with shame. I felt like maybe that's a little too like, easy. So my first title for this point ended up being chains from our past, vomit shame. Because I wanted you to get inside of your mind, inside of your heart, a disdain, a disdain for the chains of our past that are reeking with the shame. See, for many of us in this room, as I look around and I consider those who are worshiping with us in North Platte, our sins from our past have been forgiven by God. You know, I mean, if you've attended around here at any any length of time or you've been a christian for any length of time then you you would have been challenged with the idea of bringing your sin to the lord so that he can forgive them that's not the chain that i'm talking about in god's perspective he broke the chain already it's that we're it's not so easy for us to forgive ourselves that's the chain that ends, ends up wreaking the shame And you know what? If we don't deal with that, Satan loves it because he loves to take our past and he loves to hold it up in our face. And when he holds it up in our face, it's like as if he's holding up a dead corpse and he's shaking the chains of the dead corpse in front of us. Because through God's eyes and in a spiritual sense, the sin has been forgiven. The chains have been broken and Satan grabs hold of this and he shakes it in our face. And we look at it and we go, yeah, that's, that's, that's who I was. And that you kind of like bring those, those chains upon yourself and you, you wear them, even though they're dead. And even though they've been forgiven by God, but Satan just tries to deceive us so that there's a weight upon our lives that keeps us at a distance from God. And let me just give you an example of what I'm talking about. In Luke chapter seven, Jesus is invited over to a Pharisee's house. A Pharisee's a religious leader. In fact, there wasn't just one there. In fact, Jesus was brought into a group. We got set up. Set up by people that hate him, set up by people that think that he's against them, set up by people who are threatened by his leadership. And he, he walks into this room of people that are, have these preconceived ideas of who he is and what he's doing, and they're there to set him up and to trap him. And it's in this environment that something profound takes place. Here's what happens. Luke chapter 7, verse 37 says that when, a, when they're meeting there, When a certain immoral woman from the city heard that he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Before we go farther, what type of woman was it? Okay. Now, I just want to, like, draw attention just for a moment, okay? Because this could easily have been a man. In this moment of time and history, it was a woman who walked through the doors. This woman represents us. Right? This woman is an immoral, the Bible says, or living in sin, a sinful woman, some other versions say. This means that it wasn't that she was a sinner, it's that she is a sinner. Like, she is absent of a relationship with Christ at this moment. She is living it in such a way that others know her sin. She's not like you. Like, She's not hiding her sin behind secret doors and just the corridors of your own heart that no one else knows about. She's living an immoral lifestyle that the public knows about. That's the woman that we're dealing with here right now. So it's this immoral woman who walks into this environment with all these religious leaders who think that they are far better than her and that she is completely screwed up with no hope and she walks in there with a purpose in verse 38. Then she knelt down behind the feet of Jesus, weeping. Her tears fell on the feet of Jesus. And she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. This is a beautiful picture of this woman coming to worship Jesus. But I want you to notice, she's coming to worship him out of her shame. It's out of her shame that all she can do is kneel down at his feet and hide her own face hiding her face as her hair comes around her face while she uses her very hair to you know wipe off the tears we're not talking about just a couple of drops that come out of eyes we're using the word weeping we're using the word that you know symbolizes a convulsion of action where the body you know moves and Tears come out and the voice cracks as there's weeping that comes even verbally out of her mouth. And there's something about this that's drawing attention to her. And I've seen this before. It's a beautiful picture. I've seen many people come to an altar in their seat, talk about a moment where they came to Jesus out of their shame that brought weeping and convulsion to them. And this act of worship where they didn't know They didn't know anything else to do but to get low before God, like to humble themselves before God, thinking that this is going to be their act and they're going to walk out without ever getting a face-to-face, without ever getting a, a voice of the Lord speaking to them, that this is all they can do and they're not expecting anything else but to their surprise, to their surprise, they hear words like these when Jesus speaks to her. I tell you, Her sins, as he speaks to all these Pharisees who are looking at Jesus and this woman with disdain in their face. Disdain. He goes, I tell you, her sins, and they are many. I love the way the New Living Translation puts it. This is what Jesus knows about us. He knows all of your sin. He knows all of my sin. But he doesn't know it for why you think. Like we tend to think he knows all of our sins, so he can condemn us. He knows all of our sin, so he can forgive us. All of her sins, and there are many. They've been what? Forgiven. And she has shown me much love. But a person who has forgiven little shows only a little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, "Woman, your sins are forgiven." Well, watch what happens. Then the men at the table. Said amongst themselves, and I guarantee you they said it loud enough for the woman to hear it. It's almost as if they wanted her to hear it. Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins like the sins of that woman? And look what Jesus said. Does he address them with their bad attitudes? No. Does he address them with their misconceived perceptions? Nope. He goes right back to the woman. And he goes, you may have just heard these words, woman, but what I want you to hear last is my voice. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. See, those are the words of one who came to break the chains. Those are the words of one who sees our chains, who sees our fault, who sees our sin, and is quick to offer forgiveness. In fact, not just forgiveness, but freedom. How radically different is that from these religious leaders, which could be us as well? How radically different is it? It's like two opposite universes. It's like two opposite planets. It's like two, two things that couldn't be more polarizing from one another. Jesus offers freedom from sin. What, what does the, the religious person do? They scoff at it. And the real question here in this story is this. What does the woman do now? What does she do now? Does she walk out of that room with her newfound freedom? Or does she walk out of that room with the voices of the condemning echoing in the corridors of her heart? Which one does she do? It's all going to come down to trust, isn't it? It's going to come down to trust. She's going to have to be just like when we did some of those exercises at different times of our lives where these trust falls. If you've ever done that before, where you stand on this ledge and everybody that you, that you hope loves you is behind you. And they're holding arms with one another. Uh, you know, and it's one thing to know that the group is standing there waiting, for you to, waiting to catch you. And so you, you look over your shoulder and you can see them. But it's another thing to let go and start to fall. You know the difference, right? It's the same thing for this woman. Right? We don't know what she did. But I can guarantee you this. Her newfound freedom, it hinges on leaving the chains of her past at the feet of Jesus and not carrying the shame and the weight of that shame. She has to let go of the chains and let go of the shame. She needs to live out what 1 John 1, 8 and 9 says. Where it says, if we claim that we have no sin, then we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. Which, by the way, We all have chains. If you claim that you have no chains, you're only fooling yourself and you're not living in the what. So you think you're better than the person sitting next to you or in front of you or behind you because maybe you can identify their chain but you are able to hide your chain? We're just becoming like the Pharisees when we behave like that. This woman didn't do that. This woman came right into this presence knelt down, she's a walking, immoral, sinful woman. She's not trying to hide her sin at this moment. And what does she find? She finds this, but if we confess our sins to him, Jesus, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Isn't that what she heard when Jesus said, your faith, woman, has saved you. Now go in peace. Your faith, it saved you. Like, that's who Jesus is. That's what he wants to do. it It all depends now on how you're going to live your life out from that moment. I want to encourage you today. Forgive yourself and let go of the shame of the past. Stop letting these chains, which, by the way, they once used to feel strong. And they were strong. And through sin, the chains were binding you up. But when you came to Jesus and you sought his forgiveness, you need to know that the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross started acting as like corrosive against those chains immediately. They're not the chain you think they are. They're rusty, and they're thin, and they're brittle, and they're ready to be broken. And they're waiting for you to test it by faith and to just take a step. Because some of you have taken steps before and you felt the chains pull you right back. But I'm telling you today, what Jesus did on the cross is there to set you free once and for all. It's time to forgive yourself and to let go of the shame. And for some of you, you've never brought your sin to Jesus. I want to encourage you today. Bring your past sin to the feet of Jesus and leave it there. Leave it there. Because if we don't, then listen, our chains, the chains from our past, they will perpetuate the mundane in you. And that's not the way God called us to live. See, when the shame of our sin is allowed to control us, here's what we do. We run to the fringe. We run to the edge, the mundane. We run to the safe. We run to what we can control. Christianity was never designed to be something that you controlled. It was always something designed for us to surrender to so that he controlled but the mundane, the chains of our past, they leave us with no option but to try to be in control of ourselves. And for many, Christianity has just become a mundane ritual of activities. Of just me, me, me. With a shelter cloud of shame that comes over us that keeps us from being intimate and close with God. But listen, g- going, going through the motions of church without the closeness of God That's the sin in it all because Jesus is the one who purchased the price to break the chains. He's the one who goes, I want closeness with you. And what does Satan want? He wants shame from our past chains that keep us separated from God. And that's what shame does. It perpetuates the mundane and it builds this barrier that keeps us at a distance from God. Oh, we know him. We know about him. We can quote scriptures about him. We can worship him in song. We can attend church Sunday after Sunday. But there's this distance. There's this cushion that's built between the two of us. And so what do we do to try to build the bridge between us and God? We try to do it ourselves instead of recognizing that the cross is the bridge. And so what we do is we punish ourselves for our shame. The shame of the chains that we have yet to forgive ourselves from. We punish ourselves Like, I don't deserve, I don't deserve anything better than what I have. Like, I don't deserve to be any closer to God than what I am right now until my chains can be completely set free and we dream and we hope and we long for a day where something supernatural might happen in our future so that then we can be free of the chains and we can truly experience the joy that we perceive that others are experiencing. But nothing ever happens. And this false, satanic, manipulated lie, it continues to perpetuate this mundane, lifeless Christianity in us. And we can quote scriptures like John 3.16, but then we forget the power of verses that come right after it in John 3.17. For God did not send his son into the world to do what? To condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The mundane comes from the lingering effect of condemnation in our lives. Condemnation is Satan grabbing the corpse again from our past. That's dead and it's rotten because Jesus set it free and it died that day. And he holds this rotten dead corpse up and he shakes it in front of your face today with condemnation. And all you can hear is the chains of your past. You can't hear the whisper. The whisper of the Holy Spirit who says, well done, son. Well done, daughter. And then your normal, your normal gets rocked. Instead of your normal being a life that's filled with the passion and the joy and the fullness of the Holy Spirit that caused you to take radical steps of faith, you've drifted to the fringe and to the safe. You drift to the mundane. See, that's what the chains of our shame from the sin that we've yet to forgive ourselves from and let go of What it does to us is that the chains of our past, it distorts our normal. So I'm here today to remind you of what your normal is supposed to look like. Your normal is to be close to God. Your normal is to know the love of the Father without doubt. Your normal is to experience the joy of knowing that Jesus has set you free and that you are free indeed. Your normal is to trust that God has his best for you. And your normal is to take radical steps of faith. And your normal looks nothing like mundane. In fact, your normal, it isn't self-centered. Your normal isn't, you know, walking in fear. Your normal is free from the chains of your past. Your normal is helping to break the chains of others. Your normal is freedom in Jesus' name. Your normal looks nothing like mundane. That's your normal. And today is the day where I'm calling you to wake up. Wake up and break the chains of the shame that you've been carrying because Jesus has already put them to death. And the rattling of the chains is the dead corpse that the enemy is trying to shake in front of you. I would encourage you to bring your chains from your past to Jesus this morning and let let him take them once and for all. He wants to break your chains because he loves you and he paid the price for you. Because he's the one who has a plan, a plan that is, I think, beyond anything that I can dream up for my own life. And it's a plan beyond what you can see for your life. And our worship teams are going to come, and they're going to lead us in a song. And in this first song, we're just going to ask you to stay seated. Is this, See this song as a continuation of the sermon. This is a brand new song. It's called Love Has a Name. And in this song, the words say... the. The, the lyrics of the song say, the, say these words. That we will fix our eyes on the one who overcame. That's what we're going to do. We're going to fix our eyes on the one who overcame. And we will stand in awe of the one who breaks the chains. Love has a name. Victory has a name. Joy, it has a name. Hope, it has a name. His name is Jesus. I'm going to pray. When I get done praying, you just stay seated until the worship team invites you to stand and worship. But I'm just going to ask as you sit there that you would take these words and let them soak into your heart. and Let them stir faith inside of you and let the Lord expose the chains that he forgave you for that you keep carrying. And let's lay those down at his feet today. Let's pray. Lord, we know that You have the complete authority and freedom to forgive sin and to break chains. Just like you did for that woman in Luke chapter 7. And Lord, I pray that that same story would happen again here today. That as we come into your presence, many times we come in like her. We come out of shame instead of coming in out of freedom. We want to come in with freedom. We want to come walking into your presence knowing that the past is in the past And that we're living today, we're living by grace, thankful for the grace that you give, that forgives our sins. We're not perfect people. But Lord, we know that you are the one who breaks the chains. And so we come to you on a regular basis going, break the chains, Lord. Break the chains. Keep breaking the chains in my life. And we need to keep laying them down. I have no idea, Lord, how that woman walked out of that room. But I know how I want to walk out of this room. I want to walk out of this room the chains of my past laid down at your feet once and for all. I pray that for this congregation. Lord, that's what we would do, not just want. That we would leave them there. That we would walk out of this room with a profound sense of knowing the depth of your love for our life. Beyond this, the words that you love us God so loved the world. Beyond that, I'm talking a personal encounter with the presence of the living God who shakes us to the core, kills the corpse of our past, opens up our eyes and recreates a new normal. A normal that is close to you, filled with passion, intimately knowing you and knowing your heart for our life. Whatever right now stands between us and that, Whatever's racing through our mind right now that would keep us from encouraging and inspiring um, moment with your spirit, I pray that that voice would be killed right now in Jesus' name. Whatever lie that's coming from the pit of hell itself right now that's trying to kill, steal, and destroy, I pray that it would be crushed in Jesus' name. I pray that the shaking of the corpse our ears would grow deaf to it, and our ears would come alive to the voice of your spirit today. We pray that in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.